Hej och välkomna till podcasten Framtidens färdigheter. En podd om vad vi behöver veta, kunna och lära oss inför framtidens arbetsliv. Jag som leder podden heter Antres Enarsson och jobbar på Futurion. Med mig i studion idag har jag kollegan, samhällsanalytikern och forskningsledaren Carl Melin. Välkommen Kalle! Roligt att vara här. Idag ska vi göra ett specialavsnitt om meritokrati, det vill säga idén om att framgången ska vila på ens kunskap och färdigheter snarare än ja, vem man är släkt med helt enkelt. Men jag tror att liksom idén om att det är vad vi gör och vår förmåga och vår kapacitet som avgör vad vi hamnar i samhället och inte vem man är släkt med eller vilken gud man tror på eller framförallt så var det en utmaning mot det gamla liksom adelssystemet där väldigt mycket var blod och börd som avgjorde vem man var och ens position i samhället. Det är ju en revolutionerande idé rent historiskt sett. Då nepotism snarare kanske då var den här naturlagen. Um, och den här idén om meritokrati har i stort sett format vårt moderna samhälle och gjort det möjligt för den sociala rörligheten att ta vid. Så därför har vi bjudit in Adrian Woolridge, journalisten och historikern, för att tala om hans nya bok som han har skrivit om meritokrati. Det ska bli ett väldigt spännande samtal. Uh, I would like to uh, welcome our special guest today, Mr. Audrey Woodridge. We're very honored to have you here in our studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you're a well-respected journalist and author of the book with the title The Aristocracy of Talent. So you're here in Sweden right now? Absolutely, for a couple of days, um, publicizing the Swedish edition of, of the book, which is called Meritocracy. Mm. It was... Uh, Uh, it became the the book of the year. Uh, yes, it's done very well in Britain. Um, mm-hmm. It's been book of the year and, and recommended by uh, a number of people. And I think that that's, that's very flattering. But it's also a sign, I think, of the importance of the subject, mm-hmm. that this is a subject that's attracting a lot of interest and a lot of controversy at the moment, and rightly so. We will, of course, talk about this uh, in a second. But would you start by with doing a short uh, presentation of yourselves to the Swedish Swedish audience? Yes, my name is Adrian Wooldridge. Um, I work for Bloomberg uh, Opinion, writing opinion columns are essentially about um, global business, but also about what's happening in British politics and British society. Before that, for many years, for 32 years, I worked for The Economist. I wrote several columns for The Economist. Um, I wrote the Lexington column at one point. I wrote the Schumpeter column at another point. Mm. And most recently, I wrote the Badgett column about British uh, life and politics. Uh, I've also written, I think, 11 books on a wide range of subjects, but mostly about either politics or um, business um, economics with an emphasis on on globalization. Um, So that's that's my brief biography. For a brief while, uh, I was an academic at Oxford University. My background is in is in history, and I do try and apply a sort of historical perspective to the to the things that I that that I write about. But essentially, I'd regard myself as somebody who is in the the classical liberal tradition, by which I might, I mean not just pure free market. Um, and I'm not a pure free market person, but more of the classical liberal tradition of people like Badgett and John Stuart Mill, um, who um, thought, and Tocqueville, who thought about, you know, how liberal societies could um, be made to function, not just as economic units, but as political and cultural units. Mm. And I think one of my big worries and what one of the things that underlies Uh, this book about meritocracy is a lot of those liberal principles, basic liberal principles of meritocracy and free speech and free societies are under unprecedented threat at the moment. Mm. Would you say that uh, some kind of unelected elite, uh, merit, meritocracy was in some way some kind of rebellion against the conservative system where your family, your birth... You were a noble in some way. The, the, you were born into the elite or a peasant or what you call the, the common people. But um, uh, we have talked a lot, lot in earlier discussions about, for example, populism. Has the, 
Do we have a new unelected elite that in some way has replaced the old one? That's a great question. I think firstly I'd say that meritocracy is a radical set of ideas and meritocracy was a protest against a world in which positions and opportunities were allocated on the basis of family background, your inherited position in society. But one of the worrying things that's happened to meritocracy is it's the meritocrats have become a new elite. Um, and they're people who perpetuate their power, perpetuate their position in society, um, not through the old systems of patronage and, and nepotism and corruption, although there's a certain amount of that, but through being able to buy or transmit to their children superior opportunities, superior educational capital, superior educational uh, cultural capital. And so there is a sort of um, danger that the meritocratic elite will become a sort of pseudo-aristocratic elite or a pseudo-plutocratic elite and will cling on to its positions at the top of society. So having been a radical, disruptive uh, force that, 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 that overturned the established order, it's become an established order in its own right. And I think that's something that's extremely worrying The question and worrying lots of people around the world. But the question to me is, how do we deal with that problem? Do we deal with that problem through less meritocracy or through more meritocracy? I say the solution is through more meritocracy. Mm. You would say that the crit when I read your book, I thought that in some way it's very much like democ dem how you view democracy. It's not the perfect system. But it's much better than all the alternatives. Well, that was a great Churchill quotation. Mm. Churchill said, um, you know, um, exactly that, that that democracy is better than all the alternatives. Um, and I think that's true with, true with meritocracy. There are lots of reasons to criticize it and lots of things that are wrong with it. But when you try and replace it with some other system, you soon find that that other system has even more problems. So the important thing is to purita, purify and perfect it to the, to the extent that any human endeavor can be perfected rather than to get rid of it, in my view. Mm. So you want more uh, meritocracy and you want wiser as yes. well. Yes. Can you... Let, 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 let me expand that? on both mm? points. Mm? More meritocracy, mm? I mean that um, we should have a system whereby we make sure that we, we search actively the whole of society for talent. And we're looking constantly for the hidden Einsteins. And that me means reaching out below the sort of established elites and looking for talent wherever it is. And I think if we, we're, we're just about to have the, 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 the soccer World Cup. And if you look at the great soccer teams of the, of the world, they're incredibly... Um, vigorous in looking for talent right across the world and in training that talent, Barcelona being a classic example. And I think we should be, be equally ambitious with intellectual talent. There's an enormous amount of intellectual talent that has gone to waste. So I advocate in this book using lots of methods, including IQ tests, of discovering undiscovered talent and also then allocating that uh, undiscovered talent into high-performance uh, elite schools which can bring out the best in, in highly highly talented people. So that's one thing I say. So let's have more meritocracy, more active search uh, for talent. But also, um, to address your earlier point, there is a danger that the meritocratic elite, once it's discovered and selected, will become arrogant and will become divorced from the rest of society. And I think we do have a sense in which there is a meritocracy, uh, there is a merit meritocratic entitlement. And I think one thing we need to do is to be um, inculcating in the elite um, a certain sense of humility that they that they owe their position to to luck to societal investment, and that as a result of that they should be giving much more back uh, to society. That's sort of a moral, ethical discussion. Absolutely, I think that one of the things that happened in the twentieth century was that was that we began to find define merit almost exclusively in terms of IQ and intellectual ability and to leave out the side of it which is about virtue and character. And I think we need to re-inject the consideration of virtue and character into the into into the um, the equation and think more about character training. Um, to those who are given much, um, much should be given back by them to, 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 to society. We've lost we've lost that dimension. How do you make an objective way? You you mentioned eco tests. What are the 
merits. Uh, you can say that in it's much better now, but 20 years ago, if you looked at the top brass in Swedish companies that were recruited directors, not inherited, but it was more with the name Anders than there were women. Yeah. In sure. some way, who decides what kind of merits are the right ones? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think one of the interesting things about meritocracy, if you look at the history of meritocracy, there are many people, particularly on the left, who will say that meritocracy is a system which is invented by the elites for the elites. Um, and so you get the perpetuation of a certain ruling group. But I think what's interesting is that meritocracy, um, if you define it as um, intellectual potential or general talent potential, um, quite often forces the elites to concede power. Because you say to them, um, you know, if you got to your position on the basis of hard work, effort and ability, um, why shouldn't other people be allowed to do that? So meritocracy has been used by various subaltern groups, subordinate groups, to demand a seat at the table. So meritocracy was first introduced, let's say, in England in the middle of the 19th century uh, by a group of very intelligent men who said to the ruling class, who tended to be not so intelligent aristocrats, mm -hmm. we want to reorder society on the basis of open competition and examinations because that's the best way of finding talent. Well, that happened and these men got jobs and then suddenly their sisters started saying, well, what about us? We're just as clever as you. Why can't we sit those examinations? If the examinations are, de uh, are designed to uh, discover talent, why shouldn't uh, we sit them? And it's very hard to think of an answer. There's no real answer. And so it becomes a self-perpetuating, self-reinforcing system. Uh, so now there are actually more women at university than there are men. And although there is a massive lag in the corporate sector, the, 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 the people called John versus the people called not called John, um, <laughs> it's very difficult uh, to justify that system. Um, so meritocracy... It takes time, but constantly it's sort of trying to perfect itself almost. And I think the logic of the uh, uh, of meritocracy is to make boardrooms much more gender balanced. And we are moving towards that. And mm. um, we'll do that just as universities ha have been, because there's no reason to think, there's no evidence that uh, ability is any less um, prevalent in the female part of the population and in the male part of the population. So ultimately, the logic of meritocracy is to say, how can you justify these inequalities of opportunity? We have in Sweden quite a debate. We, ha we had immigration has been a huge political issue in Sweden. And uh, if you look at the, especially young migrant women are making uh, huge success in business nowadays and will probably be influential. But at the same time, we have a discussion about um, clan culture because a lot of people are coming from countries where your loyalty is more to the clan or your larger family and so on. And there the logic is very much the opposite of meritocracy. You're in some way, your moral code says that you should hire or help someone from your larger uh, family or do you have that kind of discussion in Sweden or in UK? Um, yes, we do. Um, absolutely. Um, and there is a general clash between a sort of family loyalties on the one hand, um, which ultimately express themselves in forms of nepotism and things like that, and between on that and um, meritocracy on the other hand. Um, but we, what we're seeing is that lots of ethnic minority groups are actually doing very, very well under the meritocratic system. And we also have, we have a school in um, the east end of London called the Brampton Manor Academy, which gets more children, which basically its catchment area is essentially poor immigrant communities. Um, or the children of immigrants. Some of them are much more, uh, much lo longer term. So it's basically ethnic minorities and poor people. So the majority of people who go to the school have free school meals, which is an index of, uh, 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 of poverty. But it's a school which sets very, very high standards and has very great expectations of its um, pupils. And this school 
gets more children into Oxford and Cambridge every year than Eton College does. Um, so I think that that clan culture, um, that culture of low expectations or the idea that, you know, academic success is not for us, is easily broken down, providing that you you make, um, you say, you know, everybody has a right to excellence or a right to try to be excellent. So I think there is an extraordinary problem with integrating immigrant communities that have a different set of expectations and a clan culture that's very different from the culture that we regard as as, as, as the right way of running businesses. But it's, it, it's something that can be dealt with, providing that you say to people, live up to these standards and you will and you can be successful. Mm. Will there not always be a sort of a ruling class that is successful in rigging the rigging the system for mm. their friends and family? No, I don't it, think necessarily so. I think that the point of meritocracy is that it provides a discipline for the ruling elite. There are a lot, you know, the classic Marxist criticism of this, mm. as, as as I said earlier, is mm. it's a is, is it's a way in which the ruling elite. Um, just exploits the poor, chooses the best ones to keep to, to keep themselves going. It's a way of keeping themselves in power. I think the opposite is true. I think it's a discipline on the elite. It basically says to the elite, you can only keep elite status if you perform well, if you're hardworking and intelligent. But it's also a way of saying that there's always competition for your jobs. There are always people out there looking for your jobs. So it's a way of society imposing, and particularly elites imposing discipline on themselves. Uh, I have uh, Our former uh, prime minister, the one who resigned a year ago, Stefan Löfven, when he had his farewell speech, his, he, had, he talked about that maybe the left had been too much focused on uh, equality in chances that maybe just society, even the people who don't want to go up to the top, they also deserve a good society, a good way of living, that their kids should have good opportunities and so on. And in some way, if everyone has the same theoretical chance, it's okay if some people become billionaires and the rest who doesn't struggle or are, are as good... Uh, should have it much worse. I think that it's important to have a system of um, selection by differentiation rather than selection by elimination. I think if meritocracy is a way of just choosing a few people and giving them opportunities and ignoring the rest of society, that's a terrible thing. That's selection by elimination. But if if it's a way of going looking at the whole of society, finding people's unique abilities and unique um, qualities and giving them jobs on the basis of, uh, of their different promise, then it's a, it's, it's a good system. And I think it's very, one of the worrying things about what's happened in, in Britain and the United States um, is that we tend to look for academic promise and forget about the rest of society. And what I like about the German model in particular is that there's lots of different ways of being successful. So you can be successful academically but you can also be successful in vocational and technical education. Um, and um, so we need to think more about looking for different sorts of talent mm -hmm. and allocating those different sorts of talent to the right sort of sort of opportunities. If you don't do well in academic examinations, that's not a sign that you, you're a failure. It's a sign that you have a different set of abilities that can also be used um, for uh, the benefit of society and for your own benefit. And you have to remember that that you know, clever machines are doing all sorts of intellectual jobs now, and a lot of the jobs of the future will not be to do with manipulating symbols or, or cognitive abilities. They'll be to do with um, your um, technical abilities, um, plumbers, etc., etc., etc. But they'll also be to do with your abilities to empathize, to understand other people's, your your heart jobs. Um, your your ability to 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 relate to other people, um, so there'll be a whole set of jobs to do with caring, to do with to do with human relations, which don't require cognitive abilities of the most high level, but do require a lot of different sorts of empathetic abilities. So there are lots of different talents and lots of different ways of allocating that talent. But what worries me about the egalitarian uh, idea 
is that everybody's the same. Everybody deserves exactly the same treatment. I think there are huge ranges of individual abilities and a successful society is a society that correctly allocate, discovers those individual abilities and allocates them to, to, to jobs in what is you know, extremely complicated, sophisticated and differentiated uh, labor market. That's interesting. We have in, in some of our earlier episodes, we have talked about how artificial intelligence makes it more easy to replace a journalist than a plumber. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see that. No, uh, no, so yeah. I'm joking, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There mm. are a great many um, manual jobs um, which require human beings because they're, 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 they're jobs that involve, you know, um, a great deal of judgment, a great deal of manual dexterity. Um, only people can do these jobs. Journalism, unfortunately, a lot of what, what is happening, the processing of information, can be done perfectly well by by machines and the and, and you know just if you're if you're reproducing an account of of, of what went on or a set of statistics, machines can do that extre extremely well. And that's true of, I think that more there will be more job destruction over the next few decades in areas which um, have been um, traditionally reserved for the cognitive elite than there will be in jobs like plumbing and uh, painting and repairing things. Um, and I can think of a lot of jobs that, a lot of the work that lawyers do, a lot of the work that even that doctors do or that people in the medical business do is, is all about pattern recognition. Mm. Um, and those patterns can be recognized very, very easily by artificial intelligence. Um, so I can see a future in which the the class that is most transformed and threatened by technology is the intellectual class as opposed to the the, the manual class. So in the future, we'll see we'll see doctors, but not as many doctors as we might have today. But we um, uh, we're going to see a lot of more nurses instead. Maybe. Absolutely. That's well, a, a, a lot of what medical professionals are doing, as I say, is, is, mm. is pattern recognition. It's, mm. it's, uh, and I've even seen examples of um, artificial intelligence that looks through all of this medical literature that is published all the time, medical mm. research, and actually discovers, you know, patterns that that, that 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 haven't been seen seen by people so the artificial intelligence um it's it's not good at imagination or creativity but it is good at seeing regularities and vast amounts of data mm. and we're producing more and more data all the time too much for human beings to mm. to understand so i don't think that we will have um an economy in which there is just endless demand for intellectual ability and, no, and and less and less demand for manual ability or empathy you know getting on with people you know we have a, for example we have an aging population that's that creates an enormous demand for mm. for carers the caring professions i think will 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 boom in the next in the so, coming decades so this shift of status between uh, mm. uh, between different kinds of jobs that jobs yep. that more of a Centered mm. to to care and absolutely, and, and, um, there will be a boom. Now, mm. uh, I do think that cognitive ability is very important. I do think that cognitive ability is going to be behind um, a lot of um, productivity improvements. And I think that most people who who run really innovative businesses will tend to be people who are highly intelligent, uh, highly gifted in cognitive ability. So I do think it's important. To keep looking for those, but I do also think that that there will be increasing demand for lots of skills that are very different from academic skills. So the carpenter and the plumber will have uh, huge opportunities in the future. They will continue to have opportunities, yeah. and indeed, you know, we we, we have shortages of, yeah. of of all those skilled professions. And one of the problems I, I talk about England, I think, mm -hmm. is also true of America, is that we've tended to destroy. Um, vocational education, yeah. because we're obsessed by academic education, mm. academic success. Um, and Germany, I think, is right to a to continue to value those things and train people for those for those things because they're very hard to mechanize. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, I think David Goodhart wrote a yeah, book about this as well. About that and, and 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 he's right to talk about that. It's not, as I say, it's not to say that that high cognitive ability doesn't have a very 
creative role in the economy, but it's not the only thing that matters. And it's not necessarily the thing where, where we'll, we'll, we'll have a continued boost in demand. Mm. So what's the Swedish, if you, if you look at, you talked about the British system or the, mm. and, and the German system, um, have you any thoughts of the Swedish system? What, what, what do we need to do? What does I, I don't want to take coals to Newcastle or to or or to, 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 to give advice to Sweden. Um I think that the, the 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 from the British perspective, Sweden is is seen as an extremely successful society um that has managed to remain quite innovative, that has a lot of global companies, um, whilst also avoiding the um more destructive or more um turbulent aspects of Anglo-Saxon capitalism. But it may be the case that we're idealizing um, idealizing Sweden. I don't know, but it, we, we, we perceive it as a well-managed society. I think that in some way, the market has been too inf influential in our school. We have been treating, I think... Uh, you need to realize that different sectors in society must be run by different kind of standards or morals or what you say. And I think that we have tried to take what is very, very good in the free market when it comes to commercial services and so on. And we have tried to take that model into our welfare system. And I think that has been destructive, at least for education where schools try to recruit their cheapest pupils and right. uh, the the status of being a teacher, not the salaries, the salary level is, is quite okay, but the status of being a teacher has uh, right. declined a lot. I think that's that's true right across the world. Mm. Uh, right across the world. It's, it, it's certainly true of Britain and the United States, and that's mm. a real that's a real problem. But 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 the what we've done um at least in Britain, let's say, is we moved from the 1960s where we had a very egalitarian notion of education, that everybody was basically the same and deserved the same education. Then we moved to a market model whereby we said that education should be reorganized according to the principles of supply and demand and the mm -hmm. parents were uh, basically customers in a business and, and schools should be treated as businesses which, which should be rewarded for attracting pupils. And both of those two models ignore something which is important, which is that, parent, the, which is that children uh, differ in their individual abilities and therefore in their individual needs and that those differences are not necessarily a pure reflection of the parents. In other words, that you could have ex extremely intellectually talented children who are born to um, less gifted and certainly less wealthy um, parents, and you can have extremely uh, you can have less gifted uh, children who are born to very uh, very gifted parents. So you have to have a sense in which you design your education not around the means of the parents and not around this incorrect notion that all children are exactly the same, but based it on the individual abilities and needs of those pupils. And I go back, essentially, I think the greatest thinker about meritocracy um, and about how to um, allocate ability to opportunity is Plato, um, who says in The Republic, um, he comes out with two extraordinary ideas in the, in, in, in the Republic, which was written a long time ago. One is that um children are systematically different from their parents he says that it'll always be the case that parents of of the aristocracy will produce children who are wayward and not particularly able and that children of the of the lower classes will produce what he calls men men of gold who are need who who belong in some way to the to the to the class of wise potential philosophers and he says that the the important thing is to look at all of these people and see what their real abilities are and give them jobs or educations on the basis of those abilities not on the basis of what their parents want and he also says this is one of his great revolutionary insights that um we shouldn't just assume that ability is um allocated only to men he says that women can be just as intelligent 
as men. So Plato comes out with these two things. He says, one, jobs should not be just given on the basis of who your parents are, and B, that there's an equal amount of talent in the female half of the population as there is in the male half of the population. And he says that in order to construct uh, a proper meritocracy, you have to abolish private property, because private property will always um, mean that the, the, the rich will accumulate resources. And he says that you have to abolish the bond between parents and children. And so he says the way to do that is to have state-sponsored orgies. That's the way you have to reproduce the population through state-sponsored orgies. Now, clearly, those two ideas are crazy. You know, it's stupid to get rid of private property. It's stupid to get rid of the family and have the state-sponsored orgies. But he is pointing to two big um, tensions in the nature of meritocracy, saying you could, it's very hard to have a meritocracy unless the government does something to push back against the desire of the rich to hoard resources. And it's very important to be able to look at the individual abilities of the child, not just the ambitions of the parents. So what he's saying is that the state must play a very active role in um, looking for and cultivating talent. And it must be willing to say um, that these these children deserve that their, 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 their intellectual abilities mean that they should be given a really first-rate education. And I think that is the role of the state. So the state's, the role of the state is not to have this illusion that everybody's the same. The role of the state is not just to reflect the market. Uh, the role of the state is to, is to try and, and, and make sure that educational opportunities are allocated on the basis of individual abilities. But a lot of people are saying that we are going in the wrong way, that the social mobility is going down, yes. that the, your parents becomes more and more yes. important. Yes. Uh, what think, can we do about that? Yeah, I think what we have at the moment and the biggest threat to meritocracy at the moment is that we have a hoarding of opportunities mm. by the cognitive elite um, and that people who are themselves educationally successful um, are desperate to transmit that success to their children. Um, and they do that through either sending them to private schools, private schools being very big in Britain, not so big in, in, in Sweden, or they just do it by t sending them to neighborhood schools that are in rich neighborhoods, or they do it just by by raising their children extremely well now raising and, and giving them transmitting their own cognitive abilities to their to their children by creating the right sort of learning atmosphere which of course is a is a good thing it's very hard to be against no we're not, we're not against that but what we have to recognize is that if you have a cognitive elite that hoards opportunities and that doesn't make enough room for the rest of society that is that is something that means that society will ossify and it means that it's something that means that society will not be make, making the best use of all its talents. And this uh, cognitive elite, this potential of the cognitive elite to become self-perpetuating has been massively reinforced by the egalitarian culture of schools um, and educational systems, which have resulted in get, dismantling elite schools, replacing them with comprehensive schools, schools that don't that get rid of streaming, get rid of all of these these things. In Britain, we used to have a system of grammar schools, which allowed people from poorer backgrounds to get elite academic educations. They were got rid of and replaced by comprehensive schools, which, which were dedicated to the ideal of equality. At the same time as in the state sector, we were getting rid of grammar schools. In the private sector, the public schools, which we call, which are private schools, we call them public schools. The public schools like Eton and Winchester and Harrow and the rest of them were becoming more meritocratic, more, um, more academically rigorous, more determined to select people on the basis of, of, of ability. So what you have, this combination of egalitarianism in the educational bureaucracy on the one hand, plus um, cognitive elites being determined to transmit their privileges to their children means that you get um, social ossification. You get these low levels of social mobility, which we've been talking about. What do you do to improve the levels of social mobility? I think what you do is have an active search for talent amongst uh, throughout society, 
and you reintroduce selective schools, academic schools within the state sector, and you reintroduce a culture of academic excellence and preoccupation with academic excellence in the state sector. That's gone because the teaching unions and the rest of them are very egalitarian. You reintroduce that. And then I would point back to my, to my school, the Brampton Manor Academy, which is in a poor area, takes poor children, ethnic minority children, and offers them the best possible academic education and imposes on them discipline, expects really good results from them. And hey, presto, you do get those those really good good results. So, um, you know, you need to have mechanisms uh, whereby um, the uh, cognitive elite is challenged by people from a much wider range of, of backgrounds and you have academic excellence throughout, you know, for every class, not just for not just for for the for the elites, and the two enemies are plutocracy, buying education opportunities, but also egalitarianism. The notion um, that that um, there's no difference between people on the basis of their abilities, which is very much what the education bureaucracy believes. And one of the things that most concerns me is the rise of the rise of populism, and populism in many ways is a revolt against the meritocracy. Yeah. Um, it's a revolt against the notion of experts. It's a revolt against the notion that there are certain people um, who have... Um, who knows better. Who know better. That's exact, yeah. exactly right. And one of the strange things that's happened is you've got a revolt against the meritocracy on from the left that says everybody's the same, everybody's equal, but also from the right who says that the people are wise, the elites are foolish, and the elites... Um, a terrible know-it-alls. Um, and one reason, how do we fight against that? And one of the ways we fight against that is to broaden the base of meritocracy, make sure that meritocracy is, 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 is reflects the talents of the whole of society and is capable of reaching down and, and recruiting poorer people. Because you're absolutely right that levels of social mobility have gone down in very worrying ways. Mm. I saw a study, it was a couple of decades ago, when there was very much discussion about the American dream and so on and what we could learn, but it said that in reality, the American dream was much stronger in quite egalitarian Sweden, because we have the same school and it, uh, even if the system had problems, it was easier for a talented kid to a minor or someone to make a career but in the United States quality of schools and everything much more depended if you lived in an area where the high income was low especially as the American system is the tax is based on sure. uh, real estate value and so on so if you live in a rich area the schools are better from the beginning. Um, one of the problems with America is the way that schools are funded Mm. Um, which reflects the income of uh, the parents, or the mm. house value of the parents, which is obviously more or less the same thing. Mm. But another problem with America, I think, is that it doesn't have that many elite schools. But where you, i.e. schools that are academically focused and select people on the basis of intellectual ability, and it doesn't have very active gifted children programs. Um, and so, um, and in fact... The left is attacking all the gifted children programs and is attacking the elite schools and trying to get rid of them. But where you do have elite schools, um, New York being one example, you have the Bronx uh, Science School. You have, I think, about eight of these uh, these schools or San Francisco, where you have uh, the Lowell High School and a number of other uh, elite schools. Those schools provide an avenue of upward mobility of poor people. Um, uh, particularly immigrant groups who go to those schools, have their abilities um, confirmed and stretched, and then go on to, uh, uh, you know, uh, elite colleges. Um, so I would say the solution to the American system is not more egalitarianism, but creating more of these elite schools and preserving these elite schools. And one of the craziest things that the left has tried to do in the United States is to take these schools, the elite schools, and replace academic selection with lotteries. So Lowell High School, which is one of the best schools they, uh, in the United States, incredible tra tradition of academic success, they tried to replace the system of selection with lotteries. Hmm. People go there on the basis just of arbitrary numbers. And now that's been defeated 
and it's gone back to being academically selective. But that's that's the way the left is pushing. The left left is pushing not just to equalize the um, funding mechanisms of all of these common schools, which uh, is, is definitely an argument, but also to get rid of get rid of schools that provide opportunities for ethnic minorities, essentially. And the reason they do do that is because these ethnic these schools are becoming overwhelmingly Asian schools. So egalitarian in funding is in some way good for meritocracy, yes. but uh, egalitarianism in uh, how you educate that is wrong. That's right. Well, one of the problems is that even mm. if you have a perfectly egalitarian system in terms of funding. It's always going to be the case that middle class people, professional people, will provide advantages for their children simply because they are themselves very well educated and they will provide a cognitively stimulating mm. environment, which is, of course, a good thing. But what about children who are born into different sorts of backgrounds? In order to give them uh, a quality of opportunity, you have to do much more to discover those abilities. That's why I believe in gifted education programs for the for, for the young Um, that's why I believe in universal um, preschool education, so we can make sure that we can we can provide nurturing environments for for um, people, mm. and why I believe that we should have these academically uh, academically selective schools. That the in a sense that the cognitive elite can look after themselves and they can look after their own children. But what we have to do is do more to discover and nurture. The hidden Einsteins, all the talent that, that 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 hasn't been there before. And if you look at the history of meritocracy at its best, meritocracy at its best has always been about searching actively and using the state to search actively for undiscovered talent and to give that talent opportunities. Because what are you doing when you're not giving unique talent opportunities? You're frustrating people. And those people will often, because they're frustrated, they're not getting the intellectual stimulation they need, um, they'll take it out on themselves or take it out on their schools. They'll become disruptive. They'll become noisy. If you know, if you have a puppy, I, I just got a new puppy, so that's why I'm talking about puppies. Mm. If it's not given the right stimulation, it starts, it starts biting things and creating. And, you know, so you, ha you have to give, give people the right um, stimulation. Um, mm. But also you're doing an enormous amount to... Um, impoverished society because all of that talent can produce ideas, innovations, um, enrich society uh, hugely, and we're wasting uh, we're wasting talents, and we're becoming ossified. Mm -hmm. um, you can become a criminal mastermind. They can yeah. become a criminal Actually, mastermind. Yeah. Indeed, it can. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. when you said it, where to find them, I, I read this morning in the paper that they find. Um, This uh, intelligent boy, eleven-year-old uh, boy in um, in Leeds, uh, for I a couple of days that. ago. Yeah, he, he scored the highest uh, points uh, right. in a Mensa test ever done. Oh, I'll have a look at uh, that. Yeah. Um, so, no, I d I didn't see that because we are one of the things that um, really interests me. There's um, a group in the Israeli army called 8200, which mm. is uh, a an intelligence division within the Israeli army. And Israel, of course, has uh, national service. So everybody has to go through national service. And what they do is to try and um, discover talent, uh, high levels of intellectual ability to to look, uh, to, 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 to go into this 8200 division because they're under, you know, they, they, they need to do it for, for reasons of, of survival. So they've developed... Uh, ways of looking, actively searching for talent, which might not be captured by the traditional education system. So one thing they do is they look at people who do really, really well at games in arcades, mm. um, you know, video games, mm. and they find the top scorers in those video games. Yes. And these me these are people who might have dropped out of school or might have done very badly at school, but they obviously have high degree of mm. of, of cognitive ability, video, you know, spatial. Uh, awareness and they recruit these people not good academically no. but very very good as registered by these machines but they've also started looking for um talents for academic ability in underrepresented uh, populations and one of the areas they've they've found is um f uh, hasidic jews um you know very uh, the, the female hasidics mm -hmm. 
um, who um, are brought up basically to have children to do very low level manual jobs. And they've discovered there's an enormous number of them who are very, very um, good at high level cognitive work. So they've started recruiting them into this 8200. They say, you must do military service, but doing military service, you can come and work for us in this 8200. And, and these people who've been, you know, brought up and have been expected to do uh, routine jobs are actually turning out now to be, um, they go through 8200, then they go on to do computer programming work um, and to do all sorts of things which they, which, um, they certainly weren't expecting to do in the past. And suddenly you're getting this inflow of money into the Hasidic population from these women who are working from high tech, in high-tech companies and doing extremely well. So this is just one example of how um, if you actively search for talent and you use IQ tests, but you use all sorts of other ways mm. of discovering talent, uh, you will find that it's there in all sorts of populations where you didn't expect it to be. Mm. And the result of that can be wonderful for um, the organization that is looking for talent, for the state that's looking for talent, but also for individuals who never expected that they would, as it were, join the cognitive elite, but but do. Yeah. You are so talk we well, you're talking about IQ tests, but you, when you say looking for, what is? do you have any good example of how do you find these talents? If well, you don't I, I would say the 8200, this this oh. army division has, has they, they, they've, and they've discovered, now 8200 has discovered that they're basically, in terms of gender, they're 50-50 balanced because they've been actively looking, even as they say amongst the Hasidic population, for talented women. And in um, in Silicon Valley, about 12% of people working in Silicon Valley are women. So I'm saying if you actively look and actively search and use as many different batteries of tests as you can, you will find talent uh, in places where you never never expected it to. So we um, need to be more inspired uh, absolutely. from the from yeah. the uh, athletic world. Oh well, 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 because they have this because the the rewards of <laughs> finding really, really great footballers are so huge mm -hmm. that these football teams are investing enormous mm -hmm. amounts of money and sending scouts to found, all around the world to, find to, look for, to look for this talent. And we should be there is a culture within um, academia, within the educational sector, which is hostile to the idea that we should be searching for unique talent mm -hmm. because they're they're saying, well, what about ordinary people? But there's no contradiction between these two things as long as you have this principle of selection by differentiation rather than selection by elimination mm. as long as you know that you're not looking for highly talented people because you want to ignore everybody else you want it to be part of the uh, of the mix and we've, we've, we've lost that that drive mm. Mm. we've talked about the modern criticism of meritocracy both from the left and from the yeah. right-wing populist but When it was introduced, I think it was quite revolutionary when uh, Plato talked about it. But mm -hmm. if you go back uh, 100-150 years, what was the arguments against from British nobility and yeah. so on? Well, we tend to think of meritocracy as something that's common sense. Mm. We tend to think that we should um, look for ability Um, and that anybody who says that I'm just going to give the job to my cousin or my brother, they may be an idiot, but they're part of the family. We tend to think of that as a very foolish way of, of, of running things, and indeed not really compatible with modern labor law. Um, but in fact, for most of human history, um, meritocracy has been something that's either not existed or been actually actively discouraged. Through most of human history, people have inherited their positions And um, people have actually regarded society as a sort of organic system in which people's positions are allocated by God or by nature or by, or, 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 or by social convention. Um, and jobs have been allocated not on the basis of your ability to do the job, but on the basis of who you know, not what you know, on the basis of patronage, on the basis of nepotism, or even on the basis of purchase. There was an active market in jobs, the French state, funded itself for, 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 for centuries by selling jobs. The king sold jobs to the, to the highest bidder. So that's the way society works. And when this idea comes along that people should be given jobs on the basis of merit um, and that merit was widely scattered throughout the whole of society and that you needed to look for artisans who might be, might be uh, capable of being senior bureaucrats, this was greeted with horror. 
partly because of the idea that it would destabilize society, um, partly because of the idea that it would encourage things like ambition, which were regarded as, as, as rather vulgar emotions, and partly because of the idea that it would um, encourage a sort of social mobility which was destructive of the order of things. So there was an enormous um, reaction uh, against by the nobility who, who said, well, 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 this means that um, vulgar people will have opportunities. Vulgar people will start getting jobs in the foreign office or getting jobs in the, in the civil service. That's absolutely terrible. A couple of hundred years ago, before you had the universal education, of course, you learned your job. If if your parents yes. were farmers or small businessmen, yes. you learned as a kid to follow Absolutely. in their footsteps. You and, did, but uh, there were always people who were born who had aspirations above the status yeah. that they were born into. So again, there's a wonderful book by, um, by Thomas Hardy called Jude the Obscure. And Jude the Obscure is born into the lower classes, as it were, is born to be um, uh, a farm laborer, but he's intellectually very gifted. And what he finds is that he he can't adjust to the world around him because he wants to read books, he wants to have conversations, he wants to think about abstract things, and he's discontented. So the ultimate thing that meritocracy is trying to do is put round pegs into round holes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think when you read books about the class travelers, they often write very good about they had a special teacher who saw them. That's right. Or the absolutely. local library and uh, a lot of things right. like that. And that's what I'm arguing for. I'm saying we need to um, actively search for talent. That used to be done informally by the librarian or the teacher um, who saw this, uh, this ability. But I think that education has been corrupted by an egalitarian dogma uh, and libraries are no longer, I don't know about Sweden, but they're no longer funded as much as they should be in, in, in Britain. So large numbers of people who are, who are born in a world which doesn't value education don't have anybody around who can, who, who can give that value to education. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. We could go on for hours oh, and hours. <laughs> We're so happy and honored to Thank have you, you here much. today Thank you. and to share all your knowledge and your um and uh, to fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you.